0: Joe presents TKO, together with 32 Red.
1: This is really kind of the heart of Brooklyn. You're at the corner of Atlantic and Flatbush. That's Flatbush Avenue. This is Atlantic Avenue. This V right here. All the transit hits here. So this subway, you see there's, everything's right here. So it's, you can get to anywhere in the city from here. And this is where they were gonna put the new Ebbets Field. That's This is why the Dodgers left here, is because they wanted to put the stadium on this location and it got, they put the kibosh on it. Wow. So they said, no, you can't do it. And then of course, many years later, they put the Barclays here and- And there they are. And the Nets came. So this is the place and if you still call I'm still the the phone I'm the phone recording hey, hey. thank you for calling Barclay Center <laughs> home of the Brooklyn Nets and New York Islanders <laughs> to reach the 4040 Club press 1 <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep. we're gonna ring it
0: Welcome to TKO on Joe, together with 32, where we are in Brooklyn, New York City, outside a place that has some very special memories for you. Where are we? This is the Barclays Centre. This
2: is where I've had my most famous win against the great Leo Santa Cruz.
0: The best night of my career by far. Awesome. And the real reason we're here, a little bit of nostalgia for Carl, but Brooklyn is home to the voice of brooklyn a man who spent many happy nights here you were there on that night for, for carl as well david diamante uh, welcome to tko this is home
1: for you it is welcome to brooklyn guys thank you so
0: much um, we're going to have a little tour of the area before going to diamante's brooklyn cigar lounge lighting up a cigar and hearing a little bit about the history of the area your life and we'll talk a bit about boxing as well i think
1: sounds great let's sounds do good. it sounds
0: good let's do it
1: All right. let's head over
0: Where's this area called, Dave? This is Fort
1: Greene, man. And there's a park, Fort Greene Park. It's right over here. It's beautiful, man. But the other side is where it gets dicey. That's where Myrtle Avenue is, a.k.a. Murder Avenue.
0: Yeah, let's not go there. Did David talk to me about this?
1: I mean, Notorious B.I.G. is from Fulton and St. James, right down the street here. So this is Fulton Street. St. James is, you know, 10 blocks down or something. So... Paying homage to them, you know. Sounds like there's a fight going on down in the subway. If
0: you're from Brooklyn, you go towards danger. If you're from Seven Oaks and Kent, you go away from it. It's funny, that.
1: So, right here to the left is Spike Lee's Movie Studio. It's right here in the neighborhood. Really? It's just right here. Is it a
0: big place? Wow. No way. This is it. No way. And
1: sometimes they do block parties right here on the block.
0: What, they can just do that?
1: Yeah, you just shut it down. There's a DJ out here, and you cannot walk here. zillions of people.
0: Do the right thing.
1: You've got your 40 acres and a mule cones. In Bedsty, that's my neighbourhood. So Bedsty stands for Bedford-Stuyvesant, or two streets. I've been there for years. It's a great neighbourhood. I just love it. The movie was filmed just probably about four blocks from my house.
0: Carl, do you want to reach up and just ring that bell? <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> Wake up.
0: <laughs> it's, such a, it's got such a nice piece to it, this it does, right? this time of night. Yes. Given the noise, given the noise we've just had like <laughs> over the last in the 48 day. hours, yeah.
1: Yeah, bananas.
0: So we've come inside to this uh incredible place, Diamante Cigar Bar. I never actually thought we'd end up Come in here, because we've always talked about doing this, because you've obviously worked in London so many times, which is kind of my home, and then you would always said, oh, if there's a fight night in Brooklyn, come over. And I thought, I don't know what the chances of there being one are. Here we are, and I'm very pleased to, to do it. So thank you so much
1: for, for having us. I can't believe that you're here either. I love it. We've talked about it many times, and it's actually coming to Carl. We got the champion in the house, so I'm loving this place. Yeah, I just yeah. walked in and went, "My God, this is unreal." This yeah. place. Oh, Tim, Tim's in the house. Come on in, Tim. Big Tim from security. Big this Tim. A, this is a great. We got, I we never got our, we our security here. You can got um, a squad over here. He's good Tim, over here, come right? Sit down. Yeah. Yeah. On the audio, Big Tim
0: from Matchroom Security also works a lot of shows in the UKs oh, over here just walked into the Amantastagaba. So David, we're, we're in Brooklyn. Yeah. Tell, us, tell us a little bit about this area because this has been home to you and your family for a long time. Hasn't it?
1: My family came to this neighborhood in 1868, about five blocks away. And yeah, it's cool, man. So this is my spot. I actually built this place out. So I've laid the floors, built the bar, put up the walls.
0: Who'd have thought when you boxed at Barclay Centre that this was two minutes down the road?
2: I'd have been in. If I'd have known.
0: <laughs>
1: Not before, obviously.
2: Not before. Well, why not? Because you're going to explain why cigar yeah, so is not cigars, bad.
1: Cigars, I mean. Look, I'm not advocating. <laughs> I'm not advocating for anyone to smoke. But it's Bob Arum's watching. But yeah, you don't inhale cigars; you just yeah. puff them. So you you basically sip the smoke like a maybe like a fine spirit. You know, it's it's really high quality tobacco that you're smoking. Let's say the difference between a piece of bologna and a good steak. You know, a piece of bologna is chopped up. You know, snouts and hooves, and it's the lower level stuff. A steak is obviously a fine cut of beef. And the same thing with a cigar versus a cigarette. A cigarette's really, it's called short filler. It's really ground up, kind of a lower level tobacco. They put chemicals on it. It's wrapped with paper, fiberglass in a filter, all this kind of stuff. And this, you know, a real fine hand-rolled cigar is made of three parts. you got the filler, the binder, and the wrapper. There's no need to inhale this. You just puff it. just taste it and let it go. Let's do it, shall we? Let's do it.
0: So is there, there's a kind of process to this. Oh, okay.
1: I'm going to light you here. So what's this called that you just, you just passed me there? It's called a cedar spill. So it's going to burn out if you hold it up. You've got to hold it. No, no, it's going to burn it. There you go. No like way. that fire moves up. Absolute
2: novice. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> That's it. Here
1: you go, mate. Thanks, man.
0: You got it. I feel like Al Pacino just without the Oscars. So growing up here, were you, you were always a fight fan as a kid? As always. Well. Was yeah. boxing in the family?
1: Love the boxing for sure. Absolutely, Had a lot of street fights, though. That's it. We grew up fighting. That's what it was. My dad's from from Flatbush, um, down the street here in Brooklyn. And my grandfather was away when he was born. He was in uh, Korea. When he came back, there was just a disconnect. Old school ways, you know, and my dad grew up kind of an angry guy getting a lot of street fights. He took it out on me. So that was like kind of in the house. You know, he never beat on my mom and my sister, but there was a lot of stuff in the house and then the streets weren't safe, so I was just, I was an angry kid and I was, I was all about getting into fights, you know, it was just a way of kind of dealing with that anger. Growing up, I mean, you've worked about
0: as many jobs as it's possible for a person to work, a couple. I don't know where to really start. Talk me through like your teenage years, your twenties, what were you doing? <laughs>
1: Well, <laughs> <laughs> this is—I well, don't, don't know well, what, what, the you, the what show you is. What can you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The <laughs> written's good. Here. We
2: can say you can say what you want as long as you don't get arrested.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what I will say is this: all these jobs that I've had over the years, and I think this is really important for not just young people, but especially young people today. It's like you have a tool belt. Right. And every job you do, whether it's like a delivery guy or whether you're sweeping floors, you're a dishwasher, whatever you are, you get a new skill set and you meet new people and you put it in your tool belt. And it all all those jobs that I've done over the years helped me to be the entertainer or the sportscaster or the announcer that I am today, because I have worked so many jobs, you know, whether it's door guy or a bouncer or a bartender or working at a chicken shack or a stock boy in a factory. Like, I've just done so many dent jobs, you know, like you said, bike messenger. I mean, I had a lot mm-hmm. of jobs. But I did what I had to do to pay my bills because I didn't have any backup plan. My family was not a backup plan. I left my house very young. There was no going back. In Washington, D.C. at the time, I was actually living in D.C. I was actually born in Baltimore. My family's all from Brooklyn, but I was born in Baltimore. And I lived in the D.C. area. I lived in Virginia, I lived in Maryland, and I lived in D.C. Where we did that, we did the show last week at the DMV. So yeah, Usyk was supposed to headline, wasn't it? He? Usyk was going to headline. Yeah. Devin Haney, man. Did you what fight? a fighter! Yeah, what serious. a fighter! He's he's really, a really serious. exciting. He's, he's only a
2: baby as well. Twenty years
1: old. Man. I heard yeah. somebody
0: somebody talking about him on, on one of the forums three four years ago, and I didn't. Re- I just remember the name. Mm. Didn't know much about him. And of course, he's just signed for Matry. He's amazing. Yeah.
2: DC was pretty rough, wasn't it? Like, you hear the stories that DC it was
1: murder capital when I lived there in the eighties. So yeah. you
2: go like a few blocks from. The White House. Dude, so and you got like four corners
1: of DC. You got southeast, you got northeast, southwest, and northwest. Southwest was kind of more the, the politics, like the, that's like the Capitol building, the museums and stuff. But southeast, the police didn't even used to go there. Yeah. Northeast was crazy, and even northwest, depending on where you were, like DC was a great town. DC is a great town. Every every city in America this is what I love. You know, it's not just America. Every city around the world really has different flavor. I mean. For example, like Belfast, I love your city. Yeah. It's an incredible town, wonderful people, a lot of great history, a lot of bad history. Yeah, yeah. But mm. it's, but either way, it's its own place, right? Yeah. And it's the same with London or Nottingham or Birmingham or Newcastle or Liverpool or Manchester, you know, all these places, you know, you go and, I'll go and look at like in Manchester, at the old Hacienda, you know, where all that incredible music came from. It's it's now just a, an apartment building. It's like here in Brooklyn, we got Ebbets Field where Jackie Robinson yeah. used to play and you know, all that, and it's, it's public housing or whatever. Yeah. So it's, you know, every city has that. But in America, really every city has its character. You know, in D.C. is mumbo sauce and go-go and Ethiopian population and it's chocolate city and it's the politics. And, and that's just how it was. And it was like, it was a crazy time. And we were living in squats and doing a lot of drugs, dealing drugs, doing crazy stuff, stuff that wasn't good. And I ended up leaving... The, I, you know, I came to some A bunch of stuff happened that I don't necessarily want to talk about But it was things that like I just realized some of the people around me Weren't like I was You know, I was, I was really in it You know, I was ready to like I was just I was in it deep And when I realized people didn't have my back The way I thought they did I was disillusioned You know, that hurts When you, when you feel it's like your brother if You're going to go to war with these guys You're yeah. ready to die for this stuff That's just what it was I had found my family in the street Do you know what I mean? I didn't find it at home at that time And so it was like a different feeling for me, and I was very disillusioned. And that's actually that's when I started letting my hair grow. It was in '88. I said, "Fuck it, just let my hair grow." Because I used to have real, real short hair. Real close. Thirty years. Thirty-one. Thirty-one now. Thirty-one years, and I moved to California because I had to. I was trying to get clean up drugs, so I was I was deep into that scene, which was really bad at the time, you know. And And remember, it was like. I was a poor kid. I wasn't like rich doing. It was like PCP, and there, there was fucked up drugs in DC, SASS, what they call SASS, and this just—it was fucked up, man. So, you know, sorry, it's okay with the language. Yeah, 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 it was—it was a crazy time, and I moved to California, um, not because I knew anyone. I didn't know anyone out there, but I found um, back. This is way before the internet. There was no internet back then, and there was a cafe called Food for Thought, man, FFT, It was old punk rock kind of vegan cafe. But now I'm not a vegan, but it, this is what it was and uh there was a there was a flyer on the wall that said like train ticket one way to california 65 dollars I took the whole thing you know they had like little tabs that said, fuck that, that's mine <laughs> and i called him and i said you only get that ticket you know and I, I i was living in a squat i had i was homeless you know and i went out to california i had 52 days clean i couldn't stay clean around my old crew yeah. because it was just two you just kept running to those same guys those same guys and uh I went out to California and then I relapsed, you know, I was right back in it deep, but at this point it's like, they say the disease progresses and it was really bad. And I knew for sure, like, that's it. Like I was going to end up in a body bag. That's just it's just the way it was. I was going to die. And I was like, I didn't want this. And I ended up finally right in the ship. And then I've been sober 26 years, which is amazing. You know, haven't had a sip off a, a beer or puff off a joint in 26 years. So I smoke cigars, what I love. I like my coffee, you know. Yeah. But that's it. And, you know, um, and then I started I started boxing uh, out in California at King's Gym in East Oakland. Um, and then went to some different gyms. And, you know, I had done a lot of damage to my body. I love to fight. I hate to train. <laughs> yeah. hate to train. I hate to do. fight. That's a problem, you know. Yeah. I don't know how you guys on the top level do it because it's, a, to me, like being in the gym all day, running on a treadmill, hitting a bag, doing this, doing that, it's just... It gets tedious to me. And yeah, it, it is just, tedious. It, it's,
2: I, it's same to me. I look at it as I'm enjoying boxing now, but you almost have to look at it as a job. And mm-hmm. would you prefer to be right. training like three hours a day, or rather a than dish. a nine to five? Mm-hmm. You know, on a building site. That's right. And I know what I'd prefer. So
1: mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. No, no, for sure. But fighters are made of a different cloth. I mean, they just are. And that's to me. I, I was never any type of great fighter at all. Especially yeah. you know, talking yeah. to you, who is a great fighter. And it's something that I enjoy a lot. And I respect fighters. And that's why I think I'm great at my job because like, I know it on a lot of different levels, but as far as for the boxing, like I truly like, to me, it's like these guys are going through those ropes, doing things that most mere mortals cannot do. They're willing to give their lives in the ring. The least you could do is say their goddamn name correctly.
2: Yeah. Give them the
1: respect. That's the least you could do, you know? And so I love it, you know? So at what point did you first get into announcing and how did it happen? In 88, I DJed at a radio station in D.C., a little college radio station. So I, I was on the microphone. I was a drummer. So I was playing in, like, punk rock bands. And different, so I played in a lot of bands. I played the jazz bands when I was a little kid. I played, played drums since a young age. So I kind of understood microphones and sound levels and just acoustics and music in general. And I was never a singer. I've never tried to be a singer. But people always told me I had a good voice. And I never thought about it. I was like, okay, that's cool. Thanks. You know, it, just, it never sunk in. So I'm doing the emceeing, ladies and gentlemen, check it out, here we are. And, you know, and everyone's like, yo, your voice, your voice, people listened. Yeah. It was weird. I kind of liked it, it was fun, and I seemed to have a knack for it. And I understood, I was really digging it, and of course I loved the fight scene. Always, always sick with the fights, always watching the fights, always watching the fights. And I loved the announcers, I loved like the pageantry of these, these guys with the pinky ring and this debonair with the ring car girls next to them, you know. And I just thought, that's fucking proper cool, man. <laughs> like, that's the best. I literally, like, because, you know, I don't want a real job. Like, you were saying, you know, what do you yeah, what, what yeah. would you rather do? Yeah, yeah. you rather train three hours a day or working nine yeah. to five? Oh, yeah. I thought, like, what's the best job in the world? I was like, man, being a ring announcer would just really yeah, be Yeah, it's got to be up there, isn't it? Because, yeah. like, you're the one that, like, gets the, you get the decision before anyone you're like. And I'm really, if you watch me. Because sometimes like TV wants to know, and I'm like, no, nah. yeah. like I get it. And, like I don't want anyone to know, you know. And I'll read it, and I take it really serious because I don't want to ruin the yeah. spoiler for each one of these warriors that just went toe to toe, and for the crowd. Like that's that's the that's that suspense because yeah, that moment's usually You'd it's often huge watch.
2: Point. You'd often look for the ring announcer to see to see if there's any, depending yeah. on who it is. Like, yeah. of course, any sort of inclination, yeah. we'll tell, but man. very, very rarely. Got to keep get it one. really like,
1: uh, yeah, man. Yeah. and then you got to know how to read a decision. That kills me when a guy doesn't know how to read a decision. That, that kills me, you know, from a split draw to majority decision. Yeah, yeah, there's ways to do it. There's a proper way and a wrong way. But anyway, so I was like, look, there's no way I'll ever be on TV, you know, looking the way I do or doing what I do, but I wanted to do it. You know, I love boxing. I wanted a way to stay involved with the sport. So that's what I did, and I started doing it on a very low level, and I started doing the the golden gloves the metros just the amateurs and i worked the amateur circuit for years and you know it's it's one of those things where i knew boxing really well but when you're on the inside and you know the trainers and the cutman and the doctors and the timekeeper and the guy that sets up the ring and it's not just about the fighters it's not no offense it's it's about the whole family yeah. you know this right yeah. you're a family like you you're a part of it too we're all a part of it and you know the circus comes to town it's like here we are yeah, yeah. you know we're all here and we all play our role we're all cogs in this really incredible right. machine of course you guys are the stars and everyone must respect that cuz it's really about what you guys do but we're all a part of it and the ring announcer to me is that that pageantry i always loved it so yeah that's why i do what i do it wasn't like you know it wasn't like i was this great announcer and then i decided oh i got a job in boxing no i'm i'm a boxing nut i'm a boxing nut that like, was like, how do I stay involved in it? You know, I got a big set of balls, you know that. I really don't give a, you know, I just don't. Like I'm, I'll go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I always have. And I mean, even by the travel that I do, you know, like I'll, I'll do whatever, you yeah. know. I've already, I should be dead many times over. And I, I don't say that lightly, like that's that's just what it is. I've been shot, I've been locked up in overseas. I've been I've been through a lot of stuff in my life. I've had guns pulled on me at many different times, different places, I've been in a lot of crazy spots. So, for me, this is all borrowed time. Like, I'm loving this, man. Mm. I'm loving this. I'm high in life every day. I'm sober 26 years and I've never been higher. Yeah. You know, I'm high all the time. You don't... That's what I do. Yeah, you, you actually
0: don't <coughs> sleep very much. I mean, when, when you come over for fight weeks, you will finish your day. Mm. And you're quite a night owl. I mean, often I'll get a message from you. I'll, I'll wake up, because I've been in bed for, for two and a half hours. i wake up and there's a message from you at half by 12. saying, where are you? I'm at a bar in... I've gone to like <laughs> Northwest London. I've met a load of people. We've yeah. then gone over to this place, and I'm like, I'm knackered. I've had two and a half hours sleep already. Yeah. And you and you, you know, just you'll get, in, you'll get in you in three, four o'clock. Yeah. Having having you know jet lag or whatever. Yeah. And you'll do the next day, and you'll do the same thing the next night. Yeah. I
1: mean, I love it, man. I don't know what it is. I got an engine, man. I yeah, just you have yeah. It. I just love to go. I love to go. I'm, I feel like I'm a shark. If I stop, I'll, I'll die. I love it. I love going. I love what we do, boxing and travel and, and being around good people, positive energy, like. I fuck with that. I like that. That's what I like to do. You know, that's my thing.
0: You're listening to TKO on Joe from New York City with David Diamante, me Chris Lloyd and Carl Frampton. You can subscribe via the usual channels. Uh, Now here's Nick Bright and Graham Swan with news from something else from Joe. Hello and welcome to Swanee's Cricket Show. So, Swanny, what are we going to be talking about? We're going to be talking about everything to do with the game. The biggest names from the biggest games. We've got World Cup, we've got Ashes, we've got Inside Scoops. Most importantly, we've got Gossip. I'm dishing the dirt. I'm going to throw my old teammates under the bus. Oh, I'm already excited. <laughs> Remember, we're coming to you every single week, so subscribe to Swanee's Cricket Show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, guys. Make sure you check out Swanee's Cricket Show on Joe back here in David Diamante's cigar lounge in New York City. Can't quite believe we're here. Um, you were the announcer for the Brooklyn Nets yeah.
1: for how many years? Seven? Six years. Six years. Six years, so yeah. So how did that come about? Um, Brooklyn hadn't had a team since the 50s. My mother always said the day that the Dodgers left, she said it was the worst day. She said it was just, it was terrible. The city basically fell into a doldrums. Because Brooklyn loved the bums, the, the, the Dodgers, you know. And they moved. They moved to Los Angeles. And uh, so the city went through this, this tough time. And I always remember my mom talking about it. And the moment that Jay-Z had talked about bringing the Nets here, a professional sports team, the first team since the 1950s, the Brooklyn Dodgers, to be here, I said, that's incredible. And as much as, you know, I'm a, I'm a sports guy. I like pretty much all sports. Boxing, number my number one hands down. Not even a question. But I like all I like competition. So um, I thought, well, that'd be great to be the announcer for the team in Brooklyn and represent my borough that I love so much. So I contacted the team, and they had already done this massive audition. There was like over 400 people came out for it. And they had whittled it down to like 20 of these guys that were like the kind of creme de la creme and I was out of town when they had done that and I read about it in the paper but I called up and I talked to the guy and he's like, nah, we've already, we already did this and I said, yeah, I think I'd be pretty good though he's like, nah, you know, we already did this and I said, ah, I think I'd be pretty good though and he's like, he goes, alright, look, you want to send me something I'll take a look at it, so I, I sent him a nice letter he calls me back immediately he's like, dude, you're Dave Diamante he's like, yeah, I fucking love your work he's like, I watch you all the time, you're awesome in boxing and I was like, oh, cool, and he goes, look I'd love to have you come down for the finals to, to see you know what you could do. And we went down, and it was a pretty rigorous process. And I was really honest. I had never called any basketball, let alone NBA. So I told him, I said, listen, I've never called a game before, but um, I know the sport, and I, I signed a multi-year contract with the team, and I became the voice of the NBA Brooklyn Nets, and I also became the voice of the Barclays Center, of which you've obviously fought there. Yeah. It's a you know, billion-dollar arena right down the street here. When I put this place here, this was before Barclays was even here. You know, the did, neighborhoods changed a lot. Did
2: you work that night? Because I know Jimmy Lennon on the main. Jimmy did, did the main. I did the undercard. Yeah. Oh, you were on the undercard yeah, that night.
1: Yeah, oh. I think I did the undercard because I was ringside. Yeah, yeah. and I remember um, Barry. I know you're not with Barry anymore, right? No, but Barry McGuigan, you were with him then. Yeah, it was yeah. And Barry, I think, fought just as much as you did that night. He was, he was on the side of, oh, hit him with the right, hit him with the left, yeah. hit him with the right. You know, I mean, he's really, he's very passionate. Yeah. You know. Yeah that was an amazing night I'll never forget it It was great And it was also Tell me about this I know I'm not 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 to to switch the But it's a little bit tough You know obviously Leo Santa Cruz Was going through that Stuff with his pops Yeah 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 And that's hard Because obviously You know look You're a great guy You're a human being you go in the ring, you got to do what you got to do. It's a fight. That's it's it. Fight, I remember yeah. the
2: question was brought up to me before about oh, it was okay. Yeah, just about about Leo and his dad. I went, mean, look, well, he's still in the fight, you know, until he pulls out. I'm not really thinking about his dad. And right. How yeah. harsh yeah. as that sounds? I wish sure. his dad and stuff well, but in the fight,
1: yeah, you compartmentalize.
2: I'm only thinking about Leo Santa Cruz and beating him. That's Nothing right. else is entering right, my right, mind. Right. right,
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Great fight. It's, great performance. It was, a good it was an incredible night. Yeah. Yeah. Great all night. Great night. Right.
2: Right. Big fan base, being a massive underdog, going into the fight. A lot of guys coming here and, and making a lot of noise. Um, seen some videos from people walking. They met up in a bar in Brooklyn somewhere, all my support, and they walked three-quarters of a mile, wherever they walked to, to the arena. Yeah, yeah, And I seen some of the footage, but the the atmosphere was brilliant. Yeah, like, it unbelievable. Was, I think it was maybe 2,000 fans that travelled, but they make... It sounded like 10,000, you know, it yeah. would make a lot of noise. It was your great.
0: You're l- Irish fans in New York as Absolutely. well. Yeah, right? of They've course, gone.
2: and that was, that was, I think, part of the reason. I just sang with Al Heyman, so that was part of the reason. Come to the East Coast, big Irish boxing community here, yeah. and they kind of latched on as well, which wow. was great.
0: Great fight as well. How did you feel in the fight? Did you feel like you were... You
2: I felt were... like I won the fight at the end. I felt like I'd done enough. It was a good fight, and I, I just felt like I controlled the distance well. Most of the time, but I knew at times I was going to have to stand and have a fight, try and match his work rate because yeah. he's a you know a very high paced fighter. I feel like I had done it well enough and I was landing the cleaner shots. It was a close fight, but I felt like I deserved to win it. Second fight was a close fight. I felt like Leo deserved to win it. Mm-hmm. So two pretty good fights, I thought.
1: Yeah, it's oh, absolutely. Very, yeah, so it's, fans so loved it. Fans loved yeah, it. Yeah, I can attest to that. It was a hell of a night. A third would be nice,
2: wouldn't it? Definitely. That's uh, I've been talking about it for a long time, but.
1: You feel like he's swerving it a
2: little bit? I don't think he's swerving it, no. I think it's just kind of, again, politics, which we see in the yeah. sport. We spoke about the heavyweight division and stuff a lot recently. Leo's like any other boxer. He's like a, a fighting man. He, if if he's asked to fight me and a, or his promotional team and say, yeah, no, a, you're yeah. going to fight Carl Frampton, yeah, he, he yeah. would happily fight me again. I yeah. know that for a fact. But yeah. there's politics sure. behind the reason why the fight hasn't happened for the third time.
0: How did you get on with him? He's OK. I like
2: yeah. his brothers and stuff. I um actually met his brother's Mayweather against McGregor in Vegas, and they tried to get me to go on the drink and take shots with him and stuff. But I was, with, I was with Christine, so I go off the rails just, so I didn't want to leave her on her own, so um, I left it. Yeah. But they're good, they're good people.
1: I like that you say you control the distance. I think that's something that fighters don't. Like it, when you see a guy, really a talented fighter, it's such a big part of the fight game. It's, you know, it's say, like in real estate, they say, look, well, what are the three rules of real estate? Location, location, location. It's really the same with boxing too, right? Yeah. Location, location, location. Your distance yeah. is really
2: important. That's very, very important, especially for a shorter guy like me. Yeah. It's important that I can control the distance, yeah. Really
1: important in boxing. And you know, we talk about Devin Haney. He controlled that distance so well. And these young guys that you see that are very talented, you can you can see that. Yeah. It's a, it's a great skill.
2: Yeah, I love a cigar. Like, I enjoy a cigar every now and again. I've got a few in the house, and people buy me them from every so often, and I like a wee puff of a cigar. And I know people are going to be going, what is Carl kind doing smoking a cigar on the podcast? But as we explained earlier on, you don't even inhale it. We should all be smoking cigars.
0: Well, I, <laughs> I don't ever advocate for anyone to smoke. One well, thing you've always said to me is, you know, it's kind of like a five-week tradition, Friday night we'll have a cigar in conversation. Yeah, we do. You, you it's say it's something. like something
1: that creates conversation and like what, what does so, it do for you so, so i have a, a thing that i came up with here that it's like my little so conversation contemplation celebration yeah so those are like the three great reasons to smoke a cigar you know obviously we're having a great conversation over cigars yeah um sometimes you're going to do it in your
2: own notes it's great just sit and get lost your own thoughts yeah
1: think yeah. about your day think about what you have to do coming up it's it's like we talked about compartmentalizing. That's really big for me. But I have so many different things going on at one time. And one way that I, re- and there are a lot, and I'm obviously dealing with my business, and there are a lot of other things that I do. But it's, I try to put everything kind of in its place and, and prioritize. You know, cigars are kind of my, my Gigi, way of meditation. Yeah. Gives you that like pause button amidst the pace. Yeah, the absolutely. It's important. It's like a way to stop and smell the roses. Yeah. To me, it's a hobby, not a habit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like a cigarette is like a habit. You rush know, yeah, yeah, out yeah. and you, you huff down your cigarette you know, like uh, some type of addict, but a cigar, like if I don't have time, I don't smoke. Three or so years ago, the and brothers
0: put together the World Boxing Super Series. Mm. Great concepts, tournament format, best fighters in the world, aiming to kind of unify and create undisputed champions in some case. Mm. Huge kind of budget put into this. It was an ambitious project, True. one that has kind of done very, very well in the mm. last three years on the whole. Because that was the first time I saw you in action. As a boxing announcer, at what point did they get hold of you? How did that
1: job come about? I've been boxing announcing for close to 20 years, and I've done it for so many different promoters around the world whether Bob Arum, Golden Boy, Roy Jones Jr., Mayweather, Evander Holyfield, Joe DeGuardia, Lou DeBella, Samson Lukowitz. Just I've announced for a ton of promoters over the years, and they were looking for someone. Buffer was kind of known as HBO's guy Lennon was kind of known as Showtime's guy and the super series really wanted their own guy mm. and When they came to me, you know, they had, were like look we view you as the big announcer in the world The young guy coming up. They liked my work and they wanted something that was their own, you know the super series I love that concept right because it's all about like an unmuddied lake with all these sanctioning bodies and all these different belts with the Emeritus and the Interim and the Super and the Regular and yeah. this and the that, and the, it's sometimes it's it's hard even for, forget a casual, but even for a, a deep boxing fan, it can be confusing. Like, yeah. who really is the champ? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hold on, what's going on here? It yeah. can be it can be very confusing. And so, to me, it's like we want an unmuddied lake, and something like the Super Series, like we saw with the Cruiserweights, it was just wonderful that all the guys with the belts got in there. Yeah. Man, those amazing fights, you know, um, we were very, very fortunate to have that. And, of course, Usyk, the guy that rose to That was the best series, yeah. It was top. the best. was amazing. It was the best. It was incredible, you know. And Vladarchik and, you know, Mairis Brides. And you had Júnior Dortikos and you had Murat Gassiev. And these guys were just killers, that man. That fight, that, that Dortikos-Gassiev 12th round was unbelievable. Dude, it was unreal. Unbelievable. It was unreal. Yeah. yeah and I'll tell you Russia man they gave us so much love and doing fights there is amazing Smart, yeah. I love going to russia like it's it's a great place i mean yeah, i yeah. i loved it you know we did fights in sochi we did fights in moscow i went to saint petersburg during the world cup because i had to go up there what a beautiful city man the hermitage museum and it's built on a, a series of canals so taking jet skis throughout the city you know and Class. oh so cool man in, in the summertime they have what's called white nights it doesn't really get dark they're, they're so high up on the, yeah on the uh, on the globe so uh it's got to be pretty miserable in the winter time, but we were there. I was there in the summertime. It was yeah. great. You know, four in the morning, it's bright out. Yeah. And you're hanging out at the nightclubs. It was great. So I had a great time there. But they they were very supportive. The boxing scene there. The fans really like boxing. They really get very uh, behind it. So that was great. I, I, the concept is great, and I hope it continues. And I mean, look, we just saw a great fight, Josh Taylor against Ivan Baronchik, and we're going to get another great one. Yeah, with. Uh, With Regis Prograde, I mean,
2: Inui and and Donair what a fight as well. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Let's let's go back to you, a guy that has has fought Donair. Yeah. I actually hung out with Nonito in season. He's a great guy.
2: Me and Nonito have become pretty good friends since we fought and we've actually been around each other quite a bit. Then he hung out with me in Belfast and then we traveled together to Glasgow to watch the Inui fight. Oh you were there, great. Yeah, I was there so Anui's a a monster. He's really frightening. He's he's frightening, watch him up close. His power is is something else, and it's frightening. But I spoke to Denar about it, about him fighting him in the final, sure. and he made a fair point. Dnouei is obviously a serious puncher, and when he hits people, he hurts them, and he's hurting very good fighters. But when Denar hits you clean, he puts you to sleep. Yeah, for sure. And and he said that to me. He says, "Look, I put these guys to sleep. I make them do little twitches on the ground." Donair's class. He's unreal fighter, Duneer's and I think class. he's he's seen a new lease of life at Bantamweight. I think that. It's a difficult fight, but everyone sees Inouye as a strong favourite and he's going to blow Donar away. I don't see it like that.
1: I went to the Philippines years ago and hung out with Donair and Ala, uh, Ala Boxing Gym where he trains. And it was an amazing experience. It's like, I mean, you, you can't just go in there. It's like, it's this compound. And, you know, they have to know you're coming and they got to get you this pass. And there's these gates with barbed wire and there's a guard at the front and they check your name. Okay, you're good. and so then you get your pass and you go in there and you just walk down this like old dirt road and there's like some, you know, old sunken boat that's like laying on the ground and there's dogs running around here. What the hell's going on here? Yeah. And then you come upon this clearing and it's nothing but like, you know, a hundred bags hanging and these boxing rings and there's just like a hundred guys, you know, just yeah. train. You're like, whoa, this yeah, is yeah. incredible, man. And of course, you then got the call off the back of your work there
0: when... Natrium, kind of set Matchroom USA up and they did the deal with The Zone and of course you now are exclusive to them both sides of the pond with your good friend Michael Buffer who I know has kind of been like, a, I suppose mental to you but he's, he's obviously been the main guy in sport for years and years and years Sure. Um, that must be an amazing privilege to share that kind of job with someone like him who has seen and done it all. It's like opening for the Rolling
1: Stones every night. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's he's the guy, man. I mean, I love Michael. And we've got we've known each other for a really long time. We've gotten along great from the beginning. The first time we ever met, it's a great story. I don't know if I should tell it here, but it was. In, I met him at Madison Square Garden in the bowels of the building. This was before a big fight. I was backstage at the garden, and I was walking by, and there was an open door, and Michael was in there. And I went in to talk to him, and... He wasn't looking. He didn't see who it was, and I said, uh, "Yo, Michael, I just wanted to say hello." And he was, oh, "I'm busy." And then I said, "Oh, okay. I, you know, I'm a ring announcer. I just want to say hi." And he turns and he goes, "David, come on in." He goes, "I was just talking about you at dinner tonight." And I said, "With all due respect, I think you're lying." He says, "No, actually, I, I had was having dinner with Thomas Houser tonight, and we were actually talking about you. It was just amazing, and the whole thing. And I had written him." A letter years before, because when he was diagnosed with throat cancer, yeah, you know, I didn't know him personally, but um, I, as someone in the boxing community, I, I said some prayers for him, and I, I, just wanted to send him some words of strength, so I, I sent him a nice letter saying, "Listen, you know, I'm, I'm behind you, and you're going to do great. You're going to pull through, and you know, we're, we're, we're praying for you, and you know, we love you, stuff like that." And I sent him this letter. Never heard back, and he says, "You know, I got your letter, and I really appreciate it." It was amazing, yeah, you know, and um, it, it was very cool, and we we've got a great. Uh, it's funny because Michael was never my favorite announcer. I think he's great at what he does without a doubt, but Ed Darien was always my favorite guy. I loved Ed Darian. I loved Mark Biro. I loved Johnny Addy. And, you know, I say the names twice. Um, it's kinda it's a New York thing. It's an old New York thing. Uh, they used to do that with all the fights. And um, I even, you know, there's another reason I don't really talk about too, but I just, again, it's like... You say something like, New York, New York, the city's so nice, they, they named it twice. But it's like, when a fighter's in there, and you say a guy's name, you know, you're like, Frampton, and the crowd's, ah! They can't really even hear it, because yeah. there's just so much noise. But yeah. afterwards, it's like, Frampton. Like, you just, it's like, like <laughs> it like, it, like, it, like indels it on their mount. Yeah. Like, you know, like, this is the guy that's in
0: there. No, Boatze absolutely loves it when you do it, and you guys have, like, yeah. the kind of thing. He, he like, he like, waits for it, and he says, you go, Boatze, and then he waits for the second one. And, and he, he says, for, for him, it's like... Okay, now, now we're ready, ready to go. Now we're ready, yeah. And
1: I love that, and, and what a talent this guy is. He is just scary at 175, yeah, great, yeah. man. Wow, this guy from Croydon, man, he can fight. There
2: was a guy back home who used to do club shows, amateur club shows, and he kind of traveled around Ireland. And normally at a, at a boxing show, you would just get one of the coaches or someone sure. involved in the club to go and say, in, in the red corner, sure. blah, blah, blah. But this guy used to wear a full tux, yeah. You know, shiny shoes, looked apart, her nice. nice. And he always called and the fighters was into Goodall. the room. No. <laughs> his name <laughs> was Mike Goodall.
1: <laughs> name, By the way, shout out to my Goodall, though. the shout out hardest, to working, Mike Goodall. hardest working man in boxing. Man. Love Mike. His name, and he was a hell of a compere.
2: His name was Harry McGavick. Very, very good MC. And when you were a kid, you know, he used to, he used to introduce me to the, the Ring when I was 8, 9, 10 years old. And he always made a nickname up for you. Oh, but he always man. said your surname twice as well. He did. Nice. He always said it. Yeah,
1: it's a classic boxing thing. To me, it's the correct music for it. Yeah. Like, I love. I think Lennon is such class. I think mm-hmm. Buffer is such class. These guys are amazing. They really are. They're great. Yeah, I love yeah, all these announcers. I think they're all great, man. I like listening to these guys. It's, it's a lot of fun. I think we all have our own styles and, it's, and there's room for everyone. Mm-hmm. So I, I love it. But, I mean, Jimmy and Michael are, of course, especially great, and I love the way they announce, but I, like, I'm always waiting for that second name, and I don't hear it, and it just, mm. it doesn't like so that's part right of your identity
0: and your brand, so that's, you know.
1: Yeah, now it really is. Yeah. Now it really is, but, like, before, it just, I, I didn't even think about it like that. It was just the proper way to do it. Yeah, that's yeah. how I looked at it. It was always, this is the proper way to do it.
0: Uh, we have a section on the yeah. podcast. Yeah. The 32 Second Challenge, sponsored by 32 Red. Oh. I'm just going to take that from our producer, side. So this, David, is a simple word association. So I've got a list of words here. I'm going to read them out to you one by one. And when you hear the word, I just want you to say the first thing that comes into
1: your head. Okay. All right? Cigars. Birth sugar. The best cigar. Diamantes. Boxing. Passion. Love. My life. Motorbikes. Oh, my God. I can't live without them. Yeah, it's two-wheeled therapy, man. Travel. Necessary. Uh, Ring announcing. This is the 12th and final round. (laughs) Rock or jazz? Obviously jazz. Brooklyn.
0: Heart, man. Heart. Finish it on this one. What one word would you say to the young David Diamante? Hold on, white knuckle it, stay fast. How cool is this week?
2: Unreal. (laughs) I've loved it, really, just being in here. We get here before you and just walking in this place. Class, like class, just class everywhere.
1: Yeah, I David, appreciate it. Thank you so much, for guys. On the I'm honored, man. Thank you so much for coming through, man. Awesome, Chris, Carl. Thanks, man. Yeah, I thank
0: really you. Appreciate it, mates. Huge thanks to David Diamante for having us in his cigar lounge. Uh, this has been TKO on Joe together with 32 Red. Thanks for your company. And as always, we'll see you again with another guest in seven days' time. You've been listening to TKO on Joe together with 32 Red.